A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 231 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends as well as canon, and your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, second airborne division of podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SW Beyond Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get the show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of our multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like a true battlefront legend in his own right, the EU guru himself, the count of our two continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! Hey, everybody. Though I think you got that wrong. I think I'm a legend in my own mind, not my own right. Ooh. Well, well twisted. <laughs> that too. Yeah, twisted too. Wait, that's not what he meant? No, no, not at all. But that's that's part of the fun, is, is pondering things we didn't mean to ponder, and then discovering something new and exciting about it. And that's why episodes go for like two hours instead of one sometimes. That's true. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we look back over the previous year of Star Wars Publishing. This is your Beyond the Films 2017 year in review. That's right, you know how we do it. This episode, we'll be focusing on the games with the next episode that comes being the films, television, and the um, other stuff. That said, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. That's right, and this is kind of, you might say, sort of a crossover, maybe, with Cloud City Casino, because, of course, I co-host both of them, and with a focus on games, that's kind of more in the wheelhouse of Cloud City Casino, but we get very much into the weeds on Cloud City Casino here We want to take kind of a a broad perspective and also think in terms of story where story actually happens to intrude on gaming, you know, heaven forbid. So we're going to start with, I guess, the stuff that is not video game related, because the video games are probably going to be the things that stand out most. When we do hit video games, we're going to focus on the big console one and the big augmented reality one, not get too far into the weeds on things like Galaxy of Heroes and the different apps and such. But to start with tabletop games rather than video first. One line this year that really seems like it's not really grinding to a halt, but it's really losing steam, it seems, is Fantasy Flight Games' run of Star Wars role-playing games. Uh, you may recall that they have three different main lines. They have Edge of the Empire, that's sort of the scoundrels and such in the galaxy, Age of Rebellion, which is more about Empire versus Rebels, uh, Force and Destiny. I wrote it on my notes, Forces of Destiny. See what happens when you name crap the same way. Um, but Force and Destiny, which is more about uh, Jedi, Sith, and, you know, the Force powers and whatnot. But then they've also at times brought in things like a beginner game for The Force Awakens, 
And sometimes they also bring in odd things like a reprint of the original RPG and source book from West End games, which are being reprinted for the 30th anniversary that actually got announced this year, but didn't actually get released, or I guess last year, and didn't actually get released yet. So three main lines, and they really didn't do much this year. For Edge of the Empire, we got the source book No Disintegrations. For Age of Rebellion, we got Friends Like These, sort of. Uh, Friends Like These was an adventure, but it got released right in about the middle of December of 2016. But for many who actually bought it, it didn't arrive in their stores or didn't arrive through the mail until the very beginning of 2017. Otherwise, Age of Rebellion really didn't have anything other than announcements of upcoming stuff. And then Force and Destiny had two, had Disciples of Harmony as source book, and then had the Adventure Chronicles of the Gatekeeper. Uh, they've announced other stuff coming up, but I'll tell you, and I'll jump to it here on my computer as I'm talking, I pre-order everything that you can possibly pre-order for this stuff, except for like the little supplemental cards that I don't use, because I want to make sure to use those RPG books to get stuff for the Star Wars Timeline Gold. If I look at my pre-order list right now, I have one book pre-order for Force and Destiny called Unlimited Power, or excuse me, Unlimited Power, there you go, uh, for Age of Rebellion, two source books, Ciphers and Masks, and Fully Operational, and absolutely nothing for Edge of the Empire. And then there's one book they've announced that actually goes for both, or I guess for all three, called Dawn of Rebellion. It really seems like the product line for the RPG is slipping. They're not putting out nearly as much stuff as they did in the past, and they haven't really announced much stuff either. Which, of course, means that if it's true to form, then as soon as this episode gets released, then they'll announce a bunch of stuff. But it seems like the RPG line for Fantasy Flight Games is kind of slipping, and I don't know if it's because, you know, they try to put out source books for the different types of character you could play as, and they've done that now for the bulk of them, and it's just a natural slowing down, or if they're putting so much effort into their other more profitable games that the RPG is being sort of left in the dust. But it just was not a very big year for the role-playing game. Well, I almost wonder if Lucasfilm is, is holding back some of the information, like they're not as forthcoming with a lot of little tidbits and stuff. You know, I mean, think about, uh, the novelization for The Last Jedi. You know, I mean, they put that out four months later. Maybe that also has something to do with this. Like maybe we'll start to see more games that focus on The Last Jedi era next year or something. You know, like maybe that's part of the process as well but it could easily be that they're just focusing on other aspects of what they've got out there there's so many different games and stuff yeah the rpg i mean it's it's very much it's a very time-consuming process to make any of these books to create the adventures to come up with the stats for them and whatnot so i could see this being such a labor-intensive thing that it just makes more sense to put your efforts towards something else that's really kind of going gangbusters right now like the next thing that we'll get into. I would note, though, um, one thing I actually forgot off the list. They did put out a role-playing game playmat as well this year. So a nice little rubber playmat you could use. I didn't pick that one up because I don't really have a use for it for the RPG. But if you're looking for that sort of thing, they did put one of those out as well. And from all accounts, it's the same quality as the other playmats that Fantasy Flight has put out, which is pretty good. You know, a little more expensive compared to some other playmats, but pretty good for the quality that you get for your money. As for card and card and dice games, that's in a lot of ways where this year has its highest highs and lowest lows, I would say, for Fantasy Flight games. And that's because the 
LCG, which is just a card game, the living card game, uh, sort of is winding down at this point. They announced very recently that it is actually ending, and they only have two more force packs coming in 2018. So a big chunk of the last waves of what we're going to get for the LCG all hit in 2017. And for those who aren't quite clear, you know, what's a living card game? Again, think of the collectible card game or trading card game model where you buy blind booster packs and get random cards in it, never quite knowing what you're going to get and how much money you sink into that, and then turn that model on its head And the opposite is a living card game. A living card game is basically every time you buy a pack, like a force pack as they call it, you get the exact same cards every single time. So you know exactly what you're getting. There is no randomness. It's all about building your decks and buying what you want to play with instead of buying a bunch of stuff, getting cards you don't need in hopes of getting ones that you do. So it's not as much of a money sink. Um, That one had quite a few force packs this year. No big expansions or anything. They did all those in previous years, but for the little force packs, you had Swayed by the Dark Side, Desperate Circumstances, Aggressive Negotiations, and Allies of Necessity, which are the first four out of six in the Alliances cycle, which introduced a new faction card with some extra cool um, circumstances on it, and we're trying to get you to play with different factions in the same deck. And then you have uh, the end of the Oppositions cycle, which was the previous cycle, uh, with the last of the Force Packs from that, Technological Terror, Power of the Force, and Scrap Metal. So, a solid year for Force Packs for the LCG, but not really anything that made it, you know, super amazing compared to the previous years, or terrible compared to previous years. It's just that the bad news came right at the end of the year, or right after the end of the year, I guess, that, yeah, this is this is going to be it. When the, the Alliance's cycle ends after the next two Force Packs, the LCG is done. The The audience for it and the player base for it dwindled big time in a lot of ways thanks to the other game under this category that we'll look at. Did you ever delve much into the LCG or any of the, the card games? I'm surprised because, okay, so the only card games that I recall playing like hardcore would have been Magic the Gathering back in the 90s, like 92 through 97. Like my... My best friend's little brother was big into the game, and so he wanted someone to play with. So he talked his older brother into playing, talked all of his older brother's friends into playing. We were very reluctant to play. And then after about the third game, and I think once each one of us won and beat Eric, we were all like, this game's kind of fun. Like, <laughs> but it took beating Eric for us to finally get to that point. But I like the aspect, like you were you're talking about how it's it's not the free-for-all with, with buying the packs, because that's what I recall was you would go down, you'd buy a pack, and you'd be lucky to get, like, one really good card, and people were trying to buy the really good cards, and a lot of the comic shops would have them laid out, and you'd be like, $25 for this card, $50 for this card. Sheevan Dragon, $150! Like, I remember when I got a Sheevan Dragon, I flipped out. I was like, oh my god, this is the best card ever! Uh, same thing with, like, the Nightmare. But I've never played this one, and it, it, it is it somewhat similar to the way you would play, say, Magic? I mean, I don't even know if you've played Magic, but <laughs> I'm just throwing that at you. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's fairly similar. I mean, any of these card games, the, there's going to be different uh, objectives. Some of them are about killing the other side. Some are about running them out of resources. It just kind of depends. Uh, this one is sort of more battle-based and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's, you know, you get your cards, you customize a deck of them, you play them against the other side, you try to knock out the other guy. That's pretty much it, or knock out the other guy's objectives, as the case may be in this case. Um, the biggest difference... With this one, aside from just a very user-friendly, consumer-friendly way of buying the packs, 
is that each well, put it this way each card is part of an objective set so you have some objective um, that could be one of the things that you're that the other side is trying to take out or something that you can use to get some cool abilities for yourself um, but with that objective comes five cards that go in your regular deck to play and they're all sort of thematically related to each other and have mechanics that play off of each other. So rather than randomly choosing, say, 50 or 60 or whatever cards is it for a deck of most games, in this case, you're building your deck, or your objective deck as it's called in your regular deck, um, six cards essentially at a time, which allows you to build somewhat more quickly, but it also means that you know, if I want to have, you know, this particular Yoda, because I like this Yoda's abilities, I've got to use that entire objective set inside my deck, which will probably be beneficial because they're meant to play off of each other, but I can't just say I want this card, this card's in, but I don't want the others from that objective deck. So the construction's a little different. Um, but I did play, I didn't play a lot of Magic the Gathering at the time. I play, I've played quite a bit of Magic the Gathering on the apps recently in just the last few years, but I didn't play a lot of it myself. But I played like the old Star Wars CCG from Decipher um, a ton. And it was just like what you were talking about with Magic, where it was like random packs. Oh my god, I didn't get the card I want. I guess I'll go shell out the 30 bucks for Son of Skywalker, the 45 for Han Solo Black Border. Like, I had most of the really good cards, and it was because I was working in a comic shop, and just about every bit of credit that I earned by working day after day went toward buying more of the cards that I could just never randomly luckily get in a pack. That was me with Amazing Spider-Man. I was just like, just pay me in Spider-Man comics. I don't even need the money. It's coming straight back here. Let's see... The, the way you describe that, like, it reminds me, my best friend and my, you know, he lives up in Seattle and I don't play magic until he comes down and he still buys cards. I don't. So I'm, I'm using like the, the 1500 cards I have since high school. Right. And so he's always coming up with all these really cool new card techniques to come and kick my butt. But like when I built my deck, like I built a goblin deck, which is all just like these little tiny goblins that come out really quick and easy and stuff. And it took me a long time to amass that. But like how you're describing with the Yoda and stuff, like that would make switching out your stuff really quick and easy. Like I remember like I had the Goblin deck. I had a Thalid deck. I had like all these different ones that were were keyed around certain cards and combinations. Uh One of them was like you'd have a vampire bat of some sort and you would give it like bloodlust or something like this. And like every time it would attack, it would get more powerful so like within three turns it would almost wipe out the other opponent so like we would do things like that but it was so hard to get the combination of cards and sometimes the cards were those rare special you can only have one in the deck type cards which made things a little harder so being able to swap out like that i think that would definitely make sitting there and doing like four or five hour just gaming sessions with a bunch of friends and swapping out and constantly changing your strategy like i think that would be really cool but what I've noticed, though, and I think this will shift us into the other th aspect of where we're going with this, is there's that new game where you have the dice, and that seems to have swept the LCG right off the map. I mean, all the people at my comic book store are playing that new dice game, and I believe it's the Destiny one, the, the one where you've got the little colored dice that you're rolling as well as cards. That's right. And we'll kind of circle back on and mention one thing about a card game type I'd love to see Star Wars do that they haven't done here in a moment. But yes... The other big card game is the card and dice game called Star Wars Destiny. And Star Wars Destiny is basically, you've got cards that you play to take out the other side. It's basically more or less just straight kind of a combat game. Uh, but certain cards also come with dice 
to give you other options of what you can do with those particular cards. Um, some cards actually have the ability to be played with two dice, except you have to get that card in a pack randomly by chance twice and now have an extra copy of the card you don't need in order to have two dice for that card. Um, but it, it that one goes back to the CCG TCG model. So that one is not what you see is always what you get. That one is random blind booster packs where you never know what you're going to get and you have to buy a ton of them in hopes of getting the cards that you want or find somewhere like, say, Miniature Market that pulls individual single powerful cards and sells them to you individually. So it's much more of a traditional model, which also makes a ton of money for the company because it's like a, a crack addiction sending you back over and over again to buy more booster packs. So as it caught on, it became sort of the big profit mover for Fantasy Flight Games and has sort of dominated that aspect of Fantasy Flight for this year. And it's probably a big part of why the LCG is dying um, because it has really kind of sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Me personally, I think it's a fun game to play, but I am way, way, way past the point where I'm buying blind booster packs of anything. Um, I'm too old for that crap, is kind of my perspective on it. Um, I'm not getting into the, I'm going to buy a bunch of boosters, get like one or two things I actually like, and the rest of it is junk, and I just spent all this cash on it. I'm I'm not doing it anymore. You, you said it perfectly when you said it's the crack. I mean, I, I think that the addiction of the hunt is the thing that is going to make or break it for a person. And I think, you know, for you and I, we're at that age where, you know, we've done it for so many years that now it's a matter of, one, we don't have the space for all of the stuff. You know, so we really have to pick and choose what we want to purchase because of that limited space. And then there's the aspect of, you know, how much money do you want to throw at it when, you know, you, you go back 10 years and, and we were of that point where it was like, oh, my God, it says Star Wars. We got to buy it because it wasn't as much stuff. But now everything out there says Star Wars. And, and so you wonder about that aspect of, you know, I remember when I got that Sheevan dragon, like, oh, my God, like everybody, everybody came over was like, oh, my God, you got like, I mean, there's that aspect. And you think about, you know. You know, again, you and I, we came from comic shops, so we get this. When you go to your local comic shop and there's like 10 to 20, 30 people that are always there all the time playing these type of games and stuff, like that community that grows around it. And if you have a strong community in that regard, I could see this game flourishing because that in the 90s, like I said, Magic the Gathering, that almost dominated my comic shop. They almost converted half the store just so kids could come in during lunch break and after school to play that game because this, the shop was literally less than a block from the high school. So at that time, like, man, they were just milking that and it was working. I mean, kids were coming in. We wanted to buy the packs. We wanted to see what new cards we would get. So I, I do think that that crack aspect, that, that, that hunt, you know, that search that you've got to find it and that, oh my God, I got this rare legends run, you know, like the super rare and the ultra rare. And when you get those ones, that feeling that you get, that euphoria, I think that that is definitely one of the aspects that are, is, working for their benefit but that's where that uh, that lcg game also comes off because you know for us older fans that don't want to do that hunt anymore we just want to get it all and get our money's worth you know you have that other side but i do i definitely feel like what i've seen in my comic shop with destiny that that definitely is the big push right now and i, I think you're onto something there that that's the reason why the other one is dying because it seems like everybody is playing this new game and the only thing I can think of is this feels very much like the Magic of the Gathering in the 90s when when it had that resurge. I mean, because 
I want to say when in the 90s when it came out, it was the second version. The game had been out since like the 70s, but it kind of just died off in popularity. And then they started reprinting it again and it just boom, it exploded from there. I think for me, a lot of the frustration about the game is thanks to the LCG, I feel like I've seen a better way. I've seen a more consumer-friendly way of doing a card game. So, you know, I would not have questioned the business model of Destiny back in the day. And in fact, as a business model, I don't question it now. As a con- as in terms of consumer friendliness, I would question it. But I kind of feel like one of these people who says, you know, I used to take taxis everywhere, but now that I use Uber or Lyft, I will never take a taxi again. Well, now that I've played with an LCG, I will never buy another CCG booster pack ever again. Because I have seen a better way. That said, for those who like that type of model, it is a fun game to play. The dice do make it kind of an interesting way to play. And you don't have to buy a bunch of booster packs to play if you're just going to like play, say, with your family or something like that. There is, as of this past year, a two-player starter game. So you instead of buying two starter packs and playing against them and just saying, okay, nobody gets any boosters, we're just playing starter versus starter, so it's a balanced game, there actually is a two-player starter introductory game now that's designed to be balanced. Um, but then this year they also put out a couple of waves of new cards with new dice, uh, Spirit of Rebellion and Empire at War. So for those who are into Destiny, this was an awesome year to get into Destiny. It just isn't necessarily you know, the type of model that I necessarily would go with. But I do have fun playing the two-player starter game. I mean, it's it's for me, it's less about, you know, how am I going to get the awesome stuff to play against somebody at a comic shop? Because I don't do that anymore. The local comic shop was actually owned by my father-in-law, and it closed down years ago. Um, at least the nearest one here. I don't go to the comic shop and play. I'm just going to play with my wife. So in that sense, as long as it's balanced and fair, I don't care if I've got a bunch of booster packs or none, and it's just the starter game. It's still kind of a fun thing to play. And to your point about the idea of, of comic shops sort of turning into game places. The place that I used to work uh, and sort of haunt was Comic Quest in Evansville, Indiana. Biggest comic shop I've ever seen, uh, comicquest.com, if you're curious to see anything about it. But yeah, I mean, some of it's comics now, but the vast majority of it is games and memorabilia and such now. Uh, I still have friends of mine uh, who live up in my hometown who are there now with their kids, just about every weekend playing something, uh, whether it's a card game, miniatures game, or whatever. So that's a big part of it. The one thing I would hope to see before we move out of cards is there's a type of card game that I play that I love that doesn't get into booster packs and crap like that, that is pretty much always a level playing field regardless of the number of players or people coming into it. Um, and that is a deck building game. I love deck building games. There are games where everybody starts off with basically the same hand of weak cards. As you play, you're acquiring more cards from sort of a common deck that everybody can acquire from and making your deck stronger to eventually pull off some uh, victory at the end. I play Ascension. I play Star Realms. And in fact, back to Kickstarter for the new Star Realms stuff recently. Uh, I play the DC deck building game, Marvel Legendary. I actually just put in an order for Legendary Encounters, Alien and Predator. I've got Alien, uh, Legendary Encounters, Firefly already. I love deck building games. You get the box. It's a fair game. You want to add expansions? Fine. There's no booster packs to buy. It's basically the box. I love that kind of stuff, and Star Wars has never gone that direction yet, and it's becoming a more prevalent type of card game, so my hope would be, maybe if the LCG is gone, once some of the oxygen comes back in the room after Destiny 
has sort of run its course a bit. Maybe we'll see a Star Wars deck building game at some point. Um, but so far, that's one area of card games that Star Wars just has not been willing to delve into, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. I got three things before we uh, uh, shift from this. One, to our Beyonders out there, Nathan has given you all a very important lesson in life, too, by the way. You know, eventually, get get this in your head, eventually, the person you're going to be playing with the most is going to be your wife. <laughs> right? If you're, doing it, if you're doing it right. Like, if you are doing it right. Uh, the other one is, I definitely, I need to make a video of Iguana because I feel like, you know, the, the new store is really cool. So I'd, I'd love to share that with everybody as well. But the other question I had is, okay, uh... Now, is Destiny just a two-player game, or is there a version of the game that is two-player? And then with the LCG, how many people can you play with that? Like, is is there a a limit to the number of people, and maybe that's part of why also Destiny's you know succeeding more? Maybe there's less people, and you can find one other person to play versus with the LCG game. Like, I I'm not sure like how the players of those games work. So basically, uh, I haven't played around too much with Destiny beyond the starting games and kind of following the news with it. I don't believe there is a version of that that's not two-player. I think it's two-player only. The LCG is typically two-player, but there is one of those uh, boxed expansions that allows for multiplayer. So for the most part, they're one-on-one -on -one type of experiences, whereas a deck-building game... Most of those have everything from a solo mode all the way up to anywhere from four to six players, depending. So that brings us into what is the other big area for Fantasy Flight games, which is miniatures. Lots and lots of mini-games, as they're called. And aside from announcing a new one that is an infantry-based and vehicle-based game, uh, like vehicles like ATST type things, that is all painted miniatures and plays more like Warhammer called Legion, which actually was announced in 2017, doesn't come out until a little bit while from now in 2018. Um, they did have their three main product lines continuing, and we got a surprise expansion for a game that we probably didn't think at the time was going to get an expansion at all. Um, that surprise expansion was for the game Rebellion. Rebellion is sort of a conquer the galaxy type of thing that has miniatures to help mark your locations and where your forces are and things like that. Very much kind of like the old Rebellion um, PC game, if you remember that way back in the day. But the Rebellion board game got a surprise expansion with some new mechanics in it called Rise of the Empire that pulls in characters from Rogue One, among other things. So that was kind of cool to see. Uh, did not expect Rebellion to go anywhere beyond the original box game. Then for Armada, we didn't really get much. Armada is the capital ship type of space combat game that they've got. Really, last year, all we got was the Imperial Light Cruiser and Hammerhead Corvette packs. Um, they just released, as Mark is all excited about, I know, the Chimera Star Destroyer. Um, and another ship with that, I think that was the Profundity. But those came out in early 2018. 2017 barely had anything for Armada at all. Then you had the two big ones. Imperial Assault, which is sort of ground-based combat on maps that are made of these uh, map sort of puzzle pieces almost that you put together to create the map. It's sort of grid-based, uh, and it's character versus character, not a lot of vehicles, but every once in a while you run across like an ATST in that. And the other, one, the other big one is X-Wing, which is these starfighter combat. Big years for both of those. Um, for Imperial Assault... Keep in mind that usually what will happen is they will put out a big box expansion that has new campaign missions, new side missions, a bunch of new miniatures, 
Um, but some of the characters in it, you'll get the card to play as the character and a little cardboard token instead of an unpainted miniature. And then if you want to get an actual mini for that character, you buy an ally or villain pack. And in that pack is a duplicate of the same card. But then instead of a token, you get a miniature. And then you get some other game cards with it to help enhance your game. Um, so kind of a user-friendly model of if you want to just buy the box set and say play as Ahsoka, that's fine. But you're playing as Ahsoka with a token. If you want to get Ahsoka as a mini, feel free to pick up her expansion, her little ally pack to get the mini, an extra copy of the card, and a bunch of other cool things you can add into your game. But fairly consumer-friendly. In this case, we got ally or villain packs for Darth Maul, Emperor Palpatine, or excuse me, it's not Darth Maul, just Maul. It's the Rebels-era Maul, so not Darth anymore. But Maul, Emperor Palpatine, Ahsoka Tano, Rebels-era, Jawa Scavenger, Hera Syndulla with Chopper, Triple uh, Zero with BT-1, um, we got Jabba the Hutt, Alliance Rangers, Captain Taro, Luke Skywalker, Jedi Knight. Uh, we got some, uh, skirmish maps, which instead of p- putting them together with the little, uh, puzzle piece type things, they're just rubber mats. So we got a Jabba's Palace skirmish map. Uh, we got an in- uh, Imperial Security Bureau or ISB Headquarters skirmish map, an Anchorhead Cantina skirmish map. We got big expansions with new campaign missions and everything with a bunch of miniatures for uh, Heart of the Empire and for Jabba's Realm both this year. And in case you want to play with basically uh, you and other players, instead of anybody playing as the Empire, you're all playing as different heroes and you have an app controlling the Empire, there is actually now a free app called Legends of the Alliance that now actually lets you take into account which products you own, and it uses those components to run you through a campaign with basically it handling most of the work for the Empire so you and your friends can play as the heroes. Imperial Assault had an awesome year. Um, and then for X-Wing, before we actually talk about any of them specifically... On what, you know, what's good, what's cool about them. Um, for X-Wing, lots of new ships this year. We had the TIE Silencer, which of course is Kylo Ren's from The Last Jedi. The Resistance Bomber from The Last Jedi. The Phantom 2, the new shuttle, right, that goes with the Ghost. Uh, the Kimo- Kimogila, I always have a trouble saying it, Kimogila Fighter. The Alpha Class Starwing. The Guns for Hire expansion with some repaints that had, um, uh, some scum and villainy type ships. Uh, the Skurg H6 bomber, the TIE aggressor, the Ozatuk fighter, the Sea Rock, which is the big, uh, transport type ship that we see in Rebels, uh, that, that, like the Broken Horn syndicate ship. Uh, we have the Quad Jumper, Sabine's TIE fighter, so a repainted TIE, the Upsilon class shuttle, which is Kylo Ren's from Force Awakens. Uh, and then we had play mats with backdrops of the Battle of Hoth, and Starkiller base. So X-Wing had a pretty strong year too this year, but certainly product line-wise, uh, at least as far as what miniatures games got the most focus, it seems like Imperial Assault was dominating for Fantasy Fight this year. Man, I see these are all games that I like in concept. I haven't had a chance to play, but the dollar amount to get into it is what's kept me out. Uh I want to say with Armada, because I did, I, I went down to the store and there was the Chimera and I just freaked out. I'm like, I got to have this for my birthday. And I've, I felt this way 
since the moment I saw these ships and the X-Wing miniatures, uh, that the second I bought one, I was going to be opening Pandora's box. And that Chimera, I was just like, I have to have it. I'm like, I have got to have it. So I, I have no clue what the next year has in store for me, but I know I'm about to go into Armada and I'm probably just buying these just to have the ships because they look so awesome, but. I think that is one of the coolest things about these. I mean, you can play the games, and that's awesome in and of itself, but these ships are damn glorious. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's the Armada or the X-Wing. They just they look so damn cool. So I, I absolutely love that aspect about it because, you know, I'm, I'm big into Micro Machines. I'm big into the die cast, uh, the Hot Wheels die cast, too, now. So, you know, mini ships are my jam. And, oh, God, the detail on that Chimera... Oh, I can't wait. Now, Imperial Assault, you talk about that Legends of the Alliance app. Oh, man, that got me excited. Like, that that feels like a chess game, only Star Wars, and you're actually physically playing it. Like, I think that is a win all the way around. I like, again, the idea of the characters and stuff. You know, I, I said I got the Micro Machine one, so I've got little Hera and stuff. But seeing Harrison Dula with Chopper, seeing Triple Zero and BT-1, like, oh, man, like, they're really picking some good characters to, to add to this. So I think that's kind of cool as well. Um... It's one of those that I I just I would like to get into these games, but I just don't know anybody locally that's playing it at the level like say you are, Nate. You know, I mean, like clearly George is where I need to be at. Like I, I I'm in the wrong state for Star Wars podcasting. <laughs> well, for for Star Wars report in general, because Bruce is here and Riley and Bethany are here generally, and then you got me and Michael, and then you you know, um, I gotta say these are all, I mean these are all fun games. I tend to prefer X-Wing over Armada, though I wish more people tended to play Armada because it is a fun game and it does play differently than X-Wing, so it's a different way of thinking. Um, Imperial Assault, I enjoy that as well. It's that what usually happens with, the, with Imperial Assault is if you're just gonna like meet up with somebody and play real quick, usually what you're playing is skirmish, which is basically a you build an army, they build an army, you kick each other's butts type of mode. Whereas Imperial Assault has full-blown campaigns. You could play tons and tons of times with Imperial Assault now and never play the same mission twice and still be playing a building campaign where your characters and your army keep getting better. It's awesome in that sense, but it's also incredibly time-consuming and you need to play with the same people quite a bit. So what happens for me a lot of times is I'll try to run through scenarios either for myself uh, playing so you can because you there are solo modes of most of these games and a lot of times I find that the best way to learn the tactics of a game is to play a solo mode because it gives you a sense of what both sides have to think instead of just thinking about what your side's trying to do to win and sometimes the objectives are different um, but for those who are trying to get into these yeah I mean this is why my my Patreon exists right. I mean, I have a Patreon now, patreon.com slash Nathan P. Butler, for those who don't know about it. But my Patreon exists to help offset the cost of the different Fantasy Flight games, Star Wars things, and the home video releases. Because, you know, we could get a home video release, like, back right before Christmas at Walmart, where they drop $200 worth of new home video stuff, and it's all reissues in new packaging. Or, you know, uh, you're talking about getting the Chimera. The Chimera is one miniature for... Armada, with all of its game materials and cards and stuff, that is a $50 ship. Or 40 if you buy it like the miniature market, which is where I usually buy from to get at least somewhat of a discount that covers basically the amount that it costs for shipping, so it kind of evens out. Um, but for those who are trying to get into this stuff, Armada is painted ships. Uh, X-Wing is painted ships. Imperial Assault are unpainted miniatures, so if you like to paint them, go for it. 
Legion that's coming out soon is a little less regimented feeling, it seems like, compared to Imperial Assault in terms of, like, maps and stuff like that. But Legion is also fully painted, which makes it cooler looking, but also even more expensive than Imperial Assault is. Um, getting into Legion and all the pre-orders I've put in for that over the last few months, ow, is all I can say. Ow, it hurts. Um, I'm psyched for the game. But yeah, and, but I wonder, because just like Destiny came out and has sort of sucked all the oxygen out of the room for the LCG, that's kind of what X-Wing has done for Armada. X-Wing had such a big installed base of people playing it that when Armada came out, it never really had a chance to fully catch on. Now we've got Imperial Assault, and here comes Legion. Will Legion be able to survive in a market already dominated for Star Wars, at least by Imperial Assault? Or will Legion be the one that kills Imperial Assault? Because I don't know how they keep producing two similar product lines, even if they play very differently. They feel like similar product lines um, and keep them both viable. Um, but we'll see. It's almost like the way the marketing is going with Legends where they're like, well, we don't want to market anything for Legends right now because we only got eight slots and we're really kind of full focus on this. Like, You almost wonder if the gaming industry, because they're also dealing with the small you know, niche of clients here by offering up too many games, you may take your people, you know, say you only have 50 people that are playing. Granted, I'm, I'm running that way down, but say all 25 of those are in one game and 25 are in another. And you introduce the third game where 45 people of all go to that one. Like you may have just killed two markets in one fell swoop. Like that definitely makes it where you want to stage it right. Like if you know, one game is starting to phase out, Set that next one to follow up. You know, don't, don't do it where it's, it's killing itself. Cause yeah, that's, that's I, when Armada came out with X-Wing and stuff. I kept thinking like they were going to tie the two games together. Cause you know, you had the, the little starfighter combat and you're like, okay, well, what about the capital ships? You know, like, and I always thought when they, when they introduced it, I thought it was going to be one of those things where like you could be playing the Armada. And then you have like, okay, and now we're going to send the starfighters out. And then when you go over to the other map and you play like the starfighter skirmish, and then you come back to the armada to finish it off. They never did anything like that. I thought that would have been a great way to go about it, though. Fans have made stuff like that. There was a guy, and I don't remember his name, and I'm assuming I maybe still have the PowerPoint file around. But you know, in a PowerPoint file, you can set it up so that there are buttons on the different slides that jump you to different slides. So you can sort of make it a choose-your-own-adventure-ish type of thing. Um, there was somebody who took... PowerPoint and made a scenario where basically you go from Armada with squad based to a smaller battle with the Starfighters and then you're on the ground with Imperial Assault and what the setup for each of those rounds of play depends on the results of the previous one. I thought it was fantastic, but they haven't done anything officially with that with Fantasy Flight, unfortunately. So Fantasy Flight had a great year as far as miniatures go, as far as Destiny apparently goes. LCG fading, and then as far as the RPG, it seems to be fading as well, but it could have just been a particularly slow year. Then we get into the video games. We did have some of the apps like Galaxy of Heroes still out, putting out new content, beefing it up to go along with, uh, uh, for instance, The Last Jedi. But for me, it's sort of two things that stood out. One that is a technically an app-based game, and then the other that, of course, is the big console and PC game. So to start with the app-based game, we had Jedi Challenges, exclusive to Lenovo and Best Buy. Jedi Challenges is an app, basically, that you download. And it's on your phone. But you put your phone into the Mirage Augmented Reality headset by Lenovo. It sits in your headset. 
you know, like most virtual reality headsets, if you wear one that uses your phone, you sit your phone into it sideways facing you. You're looking directly at the screen. The augmented reality Mirage headset, the phone actually goes in and it's almost like the phone is laying flat screen down, kind of where the bill of a baseball cap would be. And that screen pointing down gets caught by these mirrors that are reflecting, or these, these uh, reflective surfaces, not really mirrors because you can see through them, these reflective surfaces to make it look like whatever is showing on the screen is actually appearing in front of you in your room or in whatever space you're in. Hence, augmented reality. It's over the real reality rather than replacing reality. And in this case, Jedi Challenges has basically three main modes. One mode, the one it's best known for, is lightsaber combat, which is cool because you have your headset and you have a little tracker ball thing that glows that you just sit on the ground so it knows where you are in relation to the floor. And then your controller is a really nice replica of Anakin's slash Luke's slash Ray's lightsaber. So the main mode is essentially a lightsaber combat mode. And it starts off pretty easy. You know, you're just, but you're actually swinging the lightsaber to go after the enemy. Um, you're blocking shots. And it seems super easy because early, you know, in, in, in all the modes, say Darth Maul is about to slice you across the belly. It shows you very briefly where that slice is coming so you can move into a blocking stance. Essentially, like you're force attuned and you can sort of sense the attacks coming. So the first round of fights, and eh, no biggie, and it's continuing to add complexity to things you got to do and how you counterattack, and eh, no biggie. Then you get to some of the later modes or the second tier of fights, and you're going to get trounced because it's incredibly fast. And we're talking stuff like the Grand Inquisitor spinning his lightsaber like a buzzsaw, and you're blocking every individual hit of it and having to keep your lightsaber turning at a certain angle to block it because he's moving his arm as it's spinning. Um... They get tough, and it's quite a workout when you get to some of the tougher levels, but the early levels are pretty uh, pretty basic. But it's basically lightsaber combat in your room against the Grand Inquisitor, the Seventh Sister, Vader, Maul, Kylo Ren. Uh, there is now also uh, an expansion that they just added to it for free that I haven't tried yet, um, but that was in 2018 that added the uh, Praetorian Guard from Last Jedi. There's a second mode, which is basically kind of a real-time strategy type thing. You are sitting there, and you look down at your floor, and your floor is like Naboo or something. All these different buildings there, and these little tiny soldiers, battle droids and Jedi and whatnot, uh, clashing on the floor, and you're picking different items or devices. So it's kind of it's kind of like a cross between real-time strategy and almost like a tower defense thing where you're putting out turrets and things like that to attack and you have different scenarios you've got to win, but it's basically a battle taking place in front of you on the floor. And then you got one that is Dejaric where this table appears in front of you and you're moving the Dejaric pieces that all have their own moves and such trying to knock out the Dejaric pieces of the AI player basically, the enemy. So, three different modes all augmented reality, best known for the lightsaber combat, really nice-looking hardware, but kind of expensive because it's about 200 bucks. first of all. And also, you have to have the phone with it. And the phone is going to be just your phone. I would advise, if you're wanting to get into Jedi Challenges, if your phone screen is not at least 4.7 inches 
in measured diagonally the way that they measure phone screens, I would suggest waiting until you have a bigger phone. Because I started with an iPhone 5S. It was so small that it made it so that it wasn't quite centered correctly when I tried to play and it just looked weird. Like, the lightsaber blade always looked like it was about two inches to the side of the actual lightsaber controller. It just didn't work very well. Um, but it also didn't ever say that you could play it on a 5S. It's just that the 5S has the right operating system to play the app. So I tried it. Didn't work well. Eventually upgraded to a 7, and it works fantastic. Um, but definitely make sure that you have a decent-sized screen, and you might check the website uh, over on Lenovo to see what phones are supported. Because what you'll find is that if it lists a phone as supported, then it already is set up so that as soon as the app gets put on the phone, it knows what type of phone it is, so it knows how to set up the screen for you. Otherwise, even if your screen is the right size, you're going to manually have to come up with a best guess of setting up the screen, and it might work very well, but it also might work like that iPhone 5S and not work very well. So you may be spending 200 bucks like I did, only to turn around and have to upgrade your phone for several hundred. Thankfully for me, it was about time to upgrade the phone at some point soon anyway. But that was not something I was intending to do after dropping 200 bucks on that game. I was expecting to wait a little bit longer to upgrade the phone. But the game somewhat necessitated it. But fun and enjoyable. Um, I just find that I don't play it as much as, as I probably should to get my money's worth out of it in some cases because I tend to keep my phone inside one of those OtterBox protective cases so I don't break it. And you got to take it out of the case to put it into the visor, uh, into the uh, headset, and I'm just too lazy for that sometimes. <laughs> you know, it definitely feels like augmented reality is one of the next stepping stones in gaming and stuff. Uh, we've got uh, Disneyland's got that augmented reality uh I don't know if it's Strength of the Empire, Secrets of the Empire, something like that. Yeah, yeah, Riley and them just got to go down and, and do one of those at, at Disney World. And a friend of mine that's down in California, uh, she sent me a video of, of theirs down there. She's like, yeah, I come. I'm like, I know, I got to get there. But it definitely seems to be the new uh, niche, you know, like everybody is testing it out. Uh, one of my old roommates, he's got a, a augmented reality game where you're just kind of like standing outside the Millennium Falcon, some stormtroopers show up and you pull out the lightsaber and, and do something. It's a small little 15 minute tops little run through game, just kind of like a proof of concept, but definitely seems to be the new direction in, when it comes to the video game. So I'm really excited to see what we're going to go in the next 10 years with that. I mean, you know, you've got PlayStation 4 now doing their VR stuff. Like, I, I think it's going to be a really cool time in the next 10, 20 years because you're going to be able to immerse yourself in Star Wars in a way you've never been able to before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I am huge on PlayStation VR. As I've said plenty of times on Cloud City Casino, to borrow a phrase from the former president, it has fundamentally transformed my gaming experience. I almost play only VR games at this point. Uh, but... This year, unfortunately, or last year, the 2017, didn't see any new Star Wars VR content. Although, if you've ever wondered what it would be like to play in VR with a lightsaber and some force powers, I would highly recommend the VR game Raw Data. Raw Data has different characters you can choose from, one of which is basically a space ninja with a laser sword. <laughs> and it's about as close to playing you know, with a lightsaber as you're probably going to see for a while. Uh, the first Battlefront actually did have... One VR mission, it's the only story content the first Battlefront had, where if you had a PlayStation 4 and PlayStation VR, you could play a mission where you're flying in an X-Wing in combat inside the cockpit, a place kind of like a Eve Valkyrie 
but that was all. And there were some hints that Battlefront 2 might have some VR content, but has not. Which brings us to the last of the topics for this particular episode, which is also kind of a big one. And that is the one big Star Wars console and PC video game release of this year, which is Star Wars Battlefront 2. Uh, we had the beta for Battlefront 2, then we had the main game, and then we had the Season of the Last Jedi DLC content being released. Uh, you have five different multiplayer modes, you have some uh, co-op and single-player modes that are relatively light. You also, though, unlike the first Battlefront, have a campaign that focuses on Iden Versio and Inferno Squadron. Uh, the game itself, very controversial, because it sort of exploded the whole issue of microtransactions, which we can get into kind of as a separate thing here. I don't want to clutter this sort of intro to Battlefront 2 focusing on that. Uh, but you had a game, though, that not only had a solid campaign to go with all of its many, many multiplayer things, which is really the core of what people are playing in the game, but then also has a new model of providing seasons of free downloadable content. So we got some new maps for different modes, we got uh, some new hero ships, and we got some extra chapters of story content that takes place after the main campaign, all as part of this free Season of the Last Jedi DLC with the promise of other seasons of free downloadable add-on content to come. Uh, it was available as a regular version or an Elite Trooper edition that gave you uh, some weapons, usually the third weapon for a particular class and one Elite Star card uh, a little bit early, something you could earn in the game, but it gives it to you up front. So there was an argument over pay-to-win on that, but uh, certainly a game that for most players, and by most accounts, came out as a significant improvement over the first Battlefront, but was a lightning rod for controversy. Controversy next, just the game right now. I've really loved it. I've done a lot of live streaming of it uh, on YouTube. The only downside for me is that right now, with nothing new churning out at this point here in early 2018, I just, I don't feel a lot of compulsion to go back and play more because there's nothing drawing me back. Like at this point, I've got the star cards that I want to be just be grinding to go after more stuff. So my impetus to play into live stream isn't as strong as it was. But by and large, I really enjoyed the campaign. And I think it's a step up from the previous one. Mark, I know Battlefront 1 was kind of your thing. So what are you thinking on Battlefront 2? Well, so I did get to play the beta, thanks to you. Uh, <clears throat> I got to do that. That was fun. I did that on uh, PlayStation 4. And then for Christmas, my son talked my brother-in-law into getting him uh, play, uh, Battlefront 2 on the Xbox One. So we have that on Xbox One right now. And uh, I've been enjoying it. I love the hell out of the campaign mode. I think that that is definitely a night and day difference. Um, I, I have the most fun playing that. I found... I found that that needs to be something that they have in every Star Wars game. Like there's, there's just something fundamentally satisfying and gratifying about it. Um, being able to play against the stormtroopers, feeling like you actually can play the game. The issue I have when I play the multiplayer aspect of the game is it doesn't seem to matter what I'm doing, whether I'm being a sniper hiding off in the background or if I'm being some juggernaut running in. One to two shots, I'm dead. I can shoot somebody 38 damn times and they still live. It's just like... I am constantly respawning and running in, trying to get back to where I was non-stop. So to be able to get away from that, play the campaign mode, actually feel like I'm good at the game, <laughs> like that, that was very satisfying. Plus the story aspect, like 
I, I found the whole story really exciting. Um, I thought it was interesting that Inferno Squad, the actual squad itself, went to the Rebellion. Uh, you know, the way the story plays out, like, Hass could have easily kept Inferno Squad going. Like, we could have had Inferno Squad versus Inferno Squad. Like, an Imperial one or a First Order one versus a Rebel one. Like, I thought that was an interesting twist. Uh, you know, the, the fact that we had that. Plus, there was the... The action figure. There was the uh, Black Series six inch figure where you could get the GameStop exclusive, uh, and it was from Inferno Squad. But the figure is none of the characters. It is. It's not. It's not Iden Versio. It's not Hask, and it's not Del Mico. So I mean, they they all had very distinct aspects of their costume, and the character that you get for that six inch figure is just some generic character. It might as well have been, uh, what's her name from before, because she's the only one that is not there and they don't replace her right away. And so that was something that really kind of was upsetting. Cause I was really excited to get that figure. I was thinking, Oh, I've got Iden Versio. And then I'm looking on it and it's like, no, Iden's got like a little Paltron and all this other stuff, all these little things. Like each one of them had a little cool added aspect to it that the character just didn't have like all they would have had to have done like they didn't even have to add the poltron just put the droid on her back that would have been enough to have sold it for me i could have been like yeah it's it's, it's Iden. but so that that's just a minor side complaint but i i love the fact that they're doing the dlc the way they are and the fact that they're adding more uh campaign mode that really excites me i hope they do that with every single dlc they add um i i just the story mode was just brilliant like i could not believe how much i really enjoyed it um, the game itself looks glorious. I think one of the aspects I also don't like on the multiplayer is that some of the versions or the, some of the rounds that they had in Battlefront 1, I really enjoyed, like, uh, the drop ships that they would do when they would do the drop. That's not there. At least I haven't noticed it. Um, I haven't played as much multiplayer, so maybe they've updated it. But, like, uh, I want to say Extraction or Sabotage or something like that. They had uh, two different ones like that that aren't there. There's a couple ones that I'm like, okay, hopefully these will be coming down the road because they're challenges to the game that I I played better than, say, just the uh, battle. You know, with the one where you go in and just and just slap each other senseless. Like, I don't know. To me, it's got to have more of a mission involved because I just, I get shot way too easy. Like I have to have an objective because shooting other people, I I just can't do it anymore. Apparently. So that drives me nuts. The space battles and stuff, they tooled it a little bit. Um, I go back and forth. Like I, I still, my pinnacle star fighting game would be Jedi starfighter or just starfighter from PlayStation two. Uh, the way that those controls worked just, I mean, I could fly circles around things and, there are all these options. You can still change it. You can do the legacy, left-hand legacy, all these different options and stuff. But I still can't quite seem to get that feel of it. Like, I, I constantly get kind of confused with my ups and downs, whether I'm inverting it or not. So there's something about there that's just not quite jiving. Maybe it's just the fact that I'm almost 40 now and, and maybe a 40-year-old brain just doesn't work the same way. I don't know. But uh overall, I feel like Battlefront 2 is a... a a smash hit home run right out of the park. I think by adding the campaign mode, they definitely listened to what the the players wanted out of the game. And even more so, I think by adding that campaign mode, you gave people that aren't game players a reason to want to play this game. I mean, again, getting back to that aspect of I can play the campaign mode a hell of a lot longer than I can around a multiplayer. And, And that's very frustrating when the game already loads up the wazoo you can't even play the game until you've damn uploaded the dang stuff i mean that that loading aspect in games today is just so much longer than it used to be and i get it you're crunching a lot of data so i mean i understand that but man 
when you go out, you're playing for 10 seconds, you get a shot and you have to wait again. That gets so frustrating so damn fast. So the biggest thing also about this game was, of course, the controversy. And it's it's kind of blown up the video game market to some degree. Because you already had this controversy brewing about microtransactions. Microtransactions, for those of you who don't play video games, microtransactions are small transactions that you spend money on that are built into a game that you already have. It might be an app where the app is free to play, but then you might want to buy stuff to be able to increase uh, your power or something like that within the game. Sometimes called free to play, sometimes called freemium because you are spending money on premium things inside a free to play game. In console video games, a lot of times you'll spend 60 bucks on a game or 70 or whatever edition you bought. And then there are microtransactions built into the game. Sometimes they are cosmetic, like new costumes that don't affect gameplay balance at all. Other times, it does affect gameplay balance, and that is when it is usually most controversial. Or when something about the game seems like it's locked behind a paywall. You only progress to a certain point, and then afterwards it's a grind or not fun, unless you spend more money. This had already kind of blown up earlier in the year thanks to Middle-Earth Shadow of War. That's a Lord of the Rings universe type of game, the sequel to Shadow of Mordor. And basically, you play through the main story of the game, and when you get to the point where the story is basically over and you should be getting the last cutscene, it sends you into a series of sieges to take over these fortresses that are repetitive over and over again, that you can lose something and have to go back and redo something very easily, and that basically you need legendary followers to be able to win with your army. And how do you get legendary followers? You work your butt off for hours and hours or uh, spend money to buy these loot boxes and pay real money to get past this annoying, grindy part of the game. Um, not helped by the fact that every time you go to a pause screen, you have those advertisements in your face. So... Basically, they locked the ending cutscene that actually ties that game into the era of the books and movies of Lord of the Rings behind this grindy section where really they're basically saying, pay us more money or this part's going to suck. And that became a huge deal. And then came Battlefront. And Battlefront's progression system is kind of complex. You can, all of your, your stuff for the most part for customizing your characters comes down to star cards, kind of like it did in Battlefront 1. Star cards come from either crafting them with crafting parts, which you don't get very much of. Crafting parts are a low level currency in the game that you don't get much of relative to credits. Or spend in-game credits that you earn at a faster rate on loot boxes, basically supply crates that you open up and get random cards and stuff out of. As you progress, as you win matches and get higher and higher scores, your account goes up in rank, goes up in level. But also, as you get more cards for a specific class of trooper or specific hero or specific ship type, those cards all have tick marks up at the top. One tick mark for common, two for uncommon, three for rare, four for epic. And it counts up the number of tick marks on all the cards you've got for that character or that type and gives you a card level. And you have to have a certain rank of your entire account and card level for that class to be able to spend crafting parts to craft the cards that you want or to upgrade a card, uh, including upgrading to Epic, which can only be done through upgrading, not through loot crates. Or everything else you get comes through a loot crate, 
which is completely random, and you can get duplicates of stuff you've already got that give you a little bit of credits, but not nearly as much as they should, for the fact that, oh, you just spent like $4,000 or 4,000 credits on a crate. It's all full of duplicates here. Here's like 600 credits back, right, which is not really worth it. They'd originally said it was going to be giving you crafting parts. That isn't the way it turned out in the final game, and it's pissed off a lot of people. But originally, when the game was released, you could buy a thing called crystals with real money. And crystals could get you crates, which meant getting you more cards, which meant, at least initially, getting you a chance, if not to rank up your account, because that's done by playing the game, to rank up your card level, which meant that you had stronger cards going into it, but we're also a little bit further along on being able to get towards crafting cards that you wanted, even if you're not getting them out of crates. It was a head start if you spent real money. And there are some abilities that are kind of innocuous. Usually it's more down to skill than it is about what abilities you have in terms of how you're doing in Battlefront. But there are some cases in which abilities can be pretty overblown and make a big difference, especially in heroes versus villains. You send Darth Maul out there with no cards versus Darth Maul out there with all three card slots full of epic level cards, and one, there's a there's a marked difference between the power and the winning ability of each of those. And people were getting in, the whales as they called them, the people who were going to spend tons and tons of money on the game, jump in, bought a bunch of crystals, bought a bunch of crates, upgraded their characters, and were able to basically pay to win in the first month or so of the game. But within a matter of a week or two after release, they saw this happening, and the controversy blowing up because this is not cosmetic stuff. This is pay to win. And they said, forget it. We're going to remove microtransactions completely. Uh, one of the first big cases of a company actually doing that. Uh, they were There are lawmakers in different countries looking into whether or not this is gambling and whether there needs to be regulations on this sort of thing. Um, and all kinds of controversy coming out of it. U.S. congressmen have come out against it as gambling and so forth. Wow. So a lot of stuff happening with that. and the whole, But the whole issue of microtransactions kind of blew up because of Battlefront. And in a lot of ways, it is now the stigma that a relatively good game is going to be carrying forever. Because of that. Let me give you my analogy, though, if I if I can indulge just a little bit before we wrap up here. I'm going to take an analogy that I used on Cloud City Casino and explain this. Because remember, we're getting all the DLC content for this game for free. All of it. We're not paying for any new missions. We're getting it all free. So imagine that I am somebody who runs a little stand that sells uh, hot dog meals. Uh, right now, I sell those meals for, say, three bucks a pop. And what you get is just a generic hot dog. You know, might be some beef, pork, turkey, whatever. It's just kind of a mystery meat hot dog like most of them are. And you get the hot dog. And for your three bucks, I'm going to give you a little generic packet of mustard, generic packet of ketchup. But that's it to go with it. You'll get some chips. Let's say it's just regular potato chips and it's a generic brand rather than a bunch of options. And you'll get a soft drink with it, but it's going to be from a different selection of drinks, but all of them are like the Kroger brand or the Walmart brand, the off-brand kind of stuff. And for three bucks, people are willing to buy it, and it's all good because I'm making a decent profit because I can get all those materials relatively cheaply for me as the business owner. Time passes. People's expectations of what a hot dog meal should be have changed, what they expect has changed, and all of a sudden, to keep up with business and keep people coming in and buying hot dog meals from me, I gotta up my game. So now, it's pure beef Angus hot dogs, not mystery meat hot dogs. You get 
let's say brand name uh, ketchup and mustard packets, and we've got relish and onions that are fresh available for you. Also, a new variety of chips to choose from, all of which are name brand, and now a variety of soft drinks that used to be store brand is now name brand. Sweet. You're getting a better experience. I have upped my game. But people's attitudes towards how much a hot dog meal should cost, what they should be willing to pay for it, haven't changed. All of a sudden, they expect more for the same price, and me, as the person who's owning the place, now that I'm getting all Angus hot dogs and brand name stuff, it's costing me a ton more to produce this stuff. I'm either making less profit now or losing money because people aren't willing to pay more for a better experience at my hot dog stand. That is the video game industry. Okay, we are still expecting the same prices for games, a $60 price point, that we expected at the beginning of the Xbox 360 and PS3 era. But games are costing a lot more to make because of the production value involved, having to do things in high definition and 4K and what we expect out of uh, motion capture and all kinds of stuff like that. And games are being supported much longer because we don't want a game that's just an experience all at once. We want DLC, we want added content, more maps, more tech support, more updates to the game, more patches to the game... And we've decided, apparently, that buying DLC in packages of DLC is just bad. It's the the analogy of, well, I just went and got a burger, but if they didn't give me any of the condiments, all the condiments are the DLC, right? Well, you see that image online all the time. I need my bacon and my cheese, man. Right. If we want more content and we want higher quality games, but we are not willing to spend more on the game itself than we did back in the last generation of video games then the money's got to come from somewhere. And if we're not willing to pay for DLC as packs and we expect all that stuff free, the only real other option they've got is either to jack up the price of the game, but again, they can't do it because we will balk and say, screw you, we're not buying your game, or they've got to do something like microtransactions. We keep pushing the video game companies further and further into a corner as to what they can do to recoup the cost of all this stuff we expect from their games... Because we are unwilling to do the obvious thing, which is, oh, it costs more to produce it, it's going to cost more to buy it, that's basic economics. We aren't willing to do that. We are a pain-in-the-ass community. Somewhere, money is going to have to come into the picture, or they're not going to be able to afford the ongoing content, the development of new content, and so forth. You gripe about people, you know, these companies that make games... And then, oh, well, this stuff that they're selling as DLC, that should have just been part of the game. In fact, they developed it at the same time. Jerks. Now they're trying to sell it to us for more money. Well, if you don't want to get new stuff and pay for them to develop new stuff by paying for the DLC, the only way they're going to get paid DLC to help with those ongoing costs is to cut stuff out of the games and keep it as DLC. At some point, economic realities have to enter into the picture, and like my poor hot dog stand guy... Right now, they're stuck. My hot dog stand guy is probably going to have to charge people for toilet paper if they go use the restroom. Because he can't charge more for the hot dogs. But if he changes and makes a lower quality hot dog, nobody's going to get his stuff. They're going to go to the competition. The, the, The economics of the video game market suck right now. And that's where the microtransactions come in. And it just happens that Battlefront 2 was the one where it exploded because Battlefront 2... Because the cards are tied to progression, which are tied to crates, and you could get crates with crystals, which are real money. It made it pay to win, not cosmetic. Boom, the whole issue exploded, and a game that should have been 
thought of as very strong, is now a game that is derided by people who had never even played it as, oh, that's the microtransaction game. Screw EA, screw DICE, screw Criterion, screw Motive, everybody who was involved with it, screw Lucasfilm, screw Disney. They're just money-hungry bastards. It's made a mess out of what should have been fun. And they learned, though. I mean, they they learned the lesson and they 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 immediately changed. I, I think, you know, kudos to them for recognizing the writing on the wall in that aspect. But you're right. Uh, you know, you think about paying 75 bucks on a game and it feels steep. But when you take into consideration all the things that they're putting into the game, all the hours it takes to creating. Uh, another example, we were talking not too long ago about, oh, it's right here, BB-8 on the run. And how it was a $17 book. And, and, you know, we were, we were talking about how it didn't seem like it was worth the amount for the amount of pages you have in it. And someone had commented on our Facebook page about what goes into the artist illustrations and the time that they take to do all the illustrations and stuff and how much money that they would earn for that. And it's like, oh, well, you know, they actually undersold that book. Like, you know, 17 bucks seems steep, but when you think about all the stuff that goes into it, it's the same, it's the same scenario. You know, it's that stuff that's going on behind the curtain that we don't see that adds up. But I think one of the things that really irked me about the way that the crate system worked or even works now is the fact that you get star cards for each character and class of character. Whereas like before it was like you just had to get those star cards and get the upgrade and you could use it on the stormtrooper or on whatever skin you were basically using. Now these are more legitimate classes. You can't just get the one star card that works on all of them. You have to get the one that's specific for that class. Even if, even if the card is the same card, right? Like if you want bounty hunter, which gives you more score whenever you earn score, there's a different version of that for all three trooper classes, even though it does the exact same freaking thing. Yeah. And, and I can understand, like, it's frustrating that I can't get that one and use it for others. But in that aspect of them recompensating, that's actually kind of a brilliant idea because instead of one card for all your characters now you've got say 20 characters and instead of one card for those 20 you now have 20 character cards for all 20 of those characters and if you had an ability to buy them that would make sense but it's that trick of how do you get it where it's like a skin or a, a, a gun skin or you know maybe that's what they need to do give us some gun skins give us some more guns that aren't really necessarily more powerful than some of the guns we already have but they're just a different skin on one of the major types that we already have so it feels like we're getting a different one like maybe give us like a mersov sniper rifle or something or a verpine rifle or something like that you know do something more like that but it comes back to that market of what the people are willing to pay for and the the impression and the perception that we have And, and you're right there is a big backslash or back lash on this when it comes to the casual perception there are a lot of people that were yeah screw screw ea screw this game and i i felt you know since i played the game i felt like the game is is pretty good i feel like that we don't really have at this moment a pay-to-play formula even though you got the crates i think a lot of people get the crates they just see the crates and they just assume oh it's automatically a pay-for-play system like i don't think a lot of people are realizing how it works it's kind of like when my mom talks about facebook shutting down her feeds because she's posted something about trump it's like mom i really don't think facebook is banning you as much as you think like she's convinced though that there's a war against her because facebook's shutting her down and won't let her in and i'm like all right whatever it's perception man if you if you think that's the perception that's what you're going to go around telling everybody it is until you come around somebody that knows a little bit more about the subject and so when it comes to pay to play, all I really know about is apps on my phone and stuff. And it seems to be that the crystals 
are the aspect about the pay to play that really bites the games and the apps in the butt. Uh, tops, for example, you know, we, we were, we had a sponsorship for tops. So I got into the, uh, the online card game, the digital card trader app. And, you know, if you want to get the really cool cards and stuff, you've got to buy the crystals and buy them that route. Otherwise you're just buying a generic pack. It doesn't matter what title it says. You're getting like the same five cards with one random option of getting one in 50 of this blue card. But if you pay the crystals, well, bam, you're going to get 100% of those blue cards that you've been after. Uh, and so when you get that, like I, I get the frustration of it because then you're like, man, that's that aspect of when I go out and I'm playing the multiplayer and I'm just getting shot. Like it's not fun when you feel like they're cheating. Which is an interesting aspect because when I think of the Battlefront games and I go back to PlayStation, or not PlayStation, but Xbox, the original Xbox, you had the codes that you could put in a little up, down, left, right, whatever, and you could have unlimited ammo, unlimited health, uh, you know, these type of things. You don't have that anymore. And honestly, I took advantage of that up the wazoo. Granted, I wasn't playing online in the multiplayer aspect when I had that game. It was before I got online with my gaming system. So I was only playing just skirmishes with my friends and stuff at home or playing the story mode and doing it. But I actually kind of missed that aspect of being able to turn on the unlimited ammo and just sit in a place and just go against the empire, you know, and just shooting guys that are coming in around the corner and just sniping myself in a little hole. Like that was a lot of fun in and of itself as well. And yet now we're in an era where you just you can't do that anymore. They just it's not built into the game because now it's all multiplayer games, you know. So now, you know, the pay to win and the cheats and whatnot actually wind up mattering because it makes it unfair for someone else. Again, folks, it's a freaking video game. Then again, there are esports out there for certain games. So maybe eventually we'll see, you know, Battlefront 2 as an esport or something. Uh, Usually when I'm playing Battlefront... Thankfully, on PS4, I'm playing Battlefront against people who are quiet. Uh, I would hate to make it something where I'm playing Battlefront 2 and I'm like, you care about balance and yet I'm fighting against, you know, a bunch of middle schoolers who are calling me racial epithets? What's wrong with you? I said, what's funny about it, though, is that really the issue that a lot of people have with Battlefront 2's progression is very much what we were talking about with Destiny, right? It's random packs of stuff. And you never quite know what you're going to get, so you keep doing it. But you're right, I think that people tend to see loot crates and think immediately microtransactions. And in this case, there were to begin with, but now you can't spend real money on it. It's been removed from the game. I think somebody who didn't pay attention to the controversy and got into playing Battlefront 2 now, they would have a much better, more positive experience than a lot of the players initially who were caught up, even if it didn't affect them very much caught up in the whole microtransaction controversy and everything else relating to um, how real money was tied into the game. But as soon as they removed that, it became something where, you know, that just happens to be how the progression system works. And if you don't like randomness, you're not going to like it. But at least it's not a microtransaction real money thing. Although they are bringing microtransactions back sometime in 2018, albeit supposedly in a way that is not uh, game affecting and presumably would be cosmetic, which they probably should have done in the first place. But it's interesting that the same thing that causes us to kind of be a little bit wary of uh, something like Destiny rather than an LCG is also the same thing that in some respects is the one thing about the progression system about a front two that's frustrating. And it really comes back to the same thing, right? Random packs and, uh, as they call it, uh, praying to RNGesus, RNG, the random number generator that allows you to get things randomly out of a booster pack uh, in a video game similar to real randomness in real life. 
Well, and and that's where I was going to go too with with the gambling aspect. The fact that they were looking at it as gambling, you know, I, I I'm a scouter, you know, and one of the things that when I was a kid and Cub Scouts, we would do as a fundraiser was we would do what was called a cakewalk, where you know all the scouts would bring in a cake and people would come in and they'd buy a ticket and they would do the cakewalk. And, you know, you would have like 20 squares and only like three squares would have a cake. And so you'd pay to get a ticket and you'd do the cakewalk. And if you landed on the square with cake, you got to have the cake. Nowadays, when we tried to do that, when I, my son was in Cub Scouts, people were like, that's gambling. Like, wait, what? That's gambling. Yeah, it's a raffle. That's a gambling. You can't do that. That's not scout. Like, and it was all about the interpretation of how you want to interpret it. I was like, man, I, I just blew me away. But, but that again, it gets back to that. Like you're looking at this as gambling. And yet, to a degree, I, I mean, I guess it kind of is. You're, you're spending real money to try to get a, a win out of the system. So it's interesting the fact that we actually had members of Congress and, and lawmakers and stuff actually paying attention to this because that's that's something that you would never have expected. I, I honestly, when you said that, it kind of was like, what the hell? Like, holy crap. Like, but yet it did. It, it did. It hit. The, the water with a huge splash, man. It was like a, a meteor landing in, in the ocean. I mean, everybody saw the impact and the plume of water coming up. That was so massive. I mean, that was all over the internet. People were complaining, casual people that it, it didn't know much about it, but were just into games. We're like, hey, did you see that? I had friends that don't play Star Wars games, but knew I was into Star Wars, but they were like big into World of Warcraft or big into uh, Call of Duty and those type of games. And they were like, dude, did you hear about what's going on? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I know what's going on. But it was interesting to, to find people that this isn't their focus and yet gaming is. And they were like, dude, this is huge. What do you think of this? Like. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty big. Like people are flipping out about it. And so to have them bringing it back in 2018, I think that they're definitely going to be more observant of what they're doing, what they're saying and how they're marketing it. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see anything like the formulas that we had this first time around. I think you're going to see skins. I think it's going to be, you know, character skins, gun skins, maybe costume skins, maybe some new characters. I mean, that's the other thing too. Like, let's start adding some, I want Hera. I, you know, like I want to see some, like, give me R2, give me chopper. Like, you know, I don't even care. Like I'll zap people with a little taser. I think that would just be cool to have those options. And I think that if you're going to bring back that kind of paying system Add the characters, add the skins, add those things. Those will be what will make it. I mean, I would pay money to get a character skin for a character that I wanted. If the, you know, just make it where it's a skin though. Don't give Hera like some special ability that comes inherent with her. Make the special gun or something, something you have to earn later. You know, like then I think you're, you're doing it right. It's when you pay your money and you not only get the really cool character, but you get the really cool character that has the kick-ass gun, you know, or the kick-ass shield that you can't ever shoot her, you know, give her some ability that makes her just so bombastic on the battlefield that she's untouchable. She is Darth Vader walking down the hall of the Tantive Fire. I mean, you're just like, ah, dude, what the hell are we going to do? I'm dead. Like, and that, that is the least fun about the game when you're sitting there playing and you're constantly just dead. Like that's, I, I won't play a game if I'm constantly within 15 minutes. I've died 13 damn times. I'm done. I'm like, I, I'll toss the remote to my son and let him play. And I guess it's kind of a last note on the video games and games in general. This is the pattern we're going to see. We're going to see more multiplayer. We're going to see more of these ongoing support for games. Games as a service, as EA often puts it, for 
Who knows how it's going to be funded, but something other than the base price because the base price just can't support it. And as we learned earlier in 2017 also, oh, people don't want story games. Nobody wants a single-player game that you only play the one time or maybe replay once or twice rather than multiplayer. So let's cancel and retool the Visceral Games Star Wars game that was going to be spearheaded by Amy Hennig from Uncharted, and let's take that story experience and turn it into something a little more in line with everything else. Because nobody likes story-based games, (coughs) Uncharted, etc., etc., Yes, we're moving away from that sort of thing. So thank you, John Boyega, for helping convince EA to give us a campaign in Battlefront 2, because apparently a campaign in a mostly multiplayer game is probably the closest we're going to get to a real story-focused single-player Star Wars gaming experience. Um, so yes, that was another thing that came out this year was, yes, they are retooling that. Um, I think... Uh, once they do get the retooling done to turn the Visceral Games game from a single-player thing into more of a game service, I think the ships are all going to be produced uh, by a new company. I think they were originally going to be from Kuat Driveyard's KDY, as we see in Star Wars a lot. I think the new ships are all going to be coming from uh, the GSY shipyards, as in Go Screw Yourself, anybody who wanted a single-player <laughs> game. Uh, GSY <laughs> shipyards. A roundabout way to get yeah. to a bad... Kuat Drive Yards joke, and only one that nerds will get, because who else would see KDY and immediately think, dude, that's Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, just us, <laughs> just, just that's nerds. Nobody here but us geeks. Well, now, for any of the Beyonders out there that want a more in-depth breakdown of the games, which is the Cloud City Casino episode discussing this game in particular? God, I don't know. Uh, really any of the episodes probably within the span of the last, uh, really about the last five months. We've been following it in the development of the game, and then as soon as the game came out, pretty much every episode since has had some sense. Uh, so early 2018, the last few episodes of 2017, uh, focusing on some aspect of the game, trying to get the positives, but also trying to delve into the weeds with the economics of it, with the progression system and whatnot. And, of course, we also talk about uh, the miniatures games, the LCGs. We spent an episode talking about Jedi challenges, so we do delve into a lot of that. Um, and for those who want to see Battlefront 2 being played and want to hear my commentary over it and stuff like that, uh, I do have, of course, the Battlefront livestream podcast on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash chronoradio. And uh, anytime I get new Fantasy Flight game stuff, I also do video reviews of those things. So a lot of the stuff really in this episode, we confine it to the one episode, but it's really the basis for a lot of stuff on my YouTube channel and Cloud City Casino. Um, it's just that a lot of times Star Wars games, unfortunately, these days don't mean a lot of stories, so don't wind up getting a lot of coverage for Star Wars Beyond the Films. But sometimes they do, thank goodness, with Battlefront 2. Um, so every once in a while, we like to sort of dip into that. And of course, a year in review wouldn't be complete without it, right? Yeah. Well, and I, and I guess that, you know, to touch on that one last thing, I mean, that is the other aspect of this game that really worked. Uh, you know, the Battlefront 2 book, Inferno Squad, really, you know, you had mentioned the fact that you got more out of playing the game after reading that book. And when I finished the book, same thing. I, I got a, I got a kick out of that. I hope that that's a formula we see more of. I know when it came to the first Battlefront, uh, book and game, you know, it could have done something very similar. All they would have had to have done is done like a cutscene. They had cutscenes on Hoth. All they had to do is, is just name one or two of the characters and put a model in and they could have had something very similar. I think that that definitely, uh, you know, for those of us that like continuity and like to see your continuity, not just, 
you know, be told that there is continuity. I think that that was a definite win in this regard. So I thought that was kind of cool. I hope they do something like that more. Or even as we get more download content, maybe have a second Inferno Squad book that ties into the download content. I think, you know, that also would be a cool way to keep this game relevant. You know, I mean, you get a second book. Maybe you have people that didn't get the game the first time around or when the first book came out and they get the second Inferno Squad book and they're like, hey, I got to go get the first one. I want to go play this game. And like, you know, they just get reintroduced into it or introduced to it for the first time. So I I think in that regard, Lucasfilm is definitely doing some of the things in the in the direction that are working for the fans and are also creating more interest for fans. So in that regard, it's it's definitely a win. Um, You know, I think the whole pay to play thing. It put the right focus on, you know, the casual fans. Like we, we were, you know, it was like a beacon for Batman up in the sky. Everybody's like, Hey, what the hell's going on? Everybody focused to it. They saw the problem. Everyone had a comment and EA was listening to those comments and it worked for our advantage for once. Uh, so hopefully, you know, when we have issues like that in the future. Hopefully we'll see this kind of turnout. No press is bad press. Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> Although I think in this case, yeah, that bad press was bad press. I don't see a lot of people saying, oh my god, look what they did with Battlefront 2, I can't believe them, but I'm going to go buy it now. Uh, there is such a thing as, as actual bad press, unfortunately. Uh, but I guess that pretty much wraps up the games for the year, which means next time is TV, movies, basically the other stuff. Even Celebration winds up being part of our next episode that'll finally wrap up our year in review. I didn't imagine we'd be able to get this much talk out of games for this year but i guess we did i know i'm looking at this like i, I we had talked about doing two episodes back to back and like, you know, i don't know if we're gonna be able to have time i think you've got a, a bounce I, we'll have to see So uh, now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films, as we just said. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. And uh, we also do have a uh, Beyonders Who Ponder Facebook group if you want to come out there and join up and uh, see what I'm thinking about today because I'm looking at something Star Wars and it made me think of something. That's kind of where I've been throwing a lot more of those ponders. So if you're seeing less today's ponders and Beyonder ponders on the Facebook page, that's because we've got a group where we're doing that now. Uh, and in fact, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which I always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Stars Beyond the Films in your search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It is literally the best way to interact with us. It is our own home one, if you will. You can not only post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans if you have any star wars or legends or eu questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com and before we go we wanted to mention to you our audible trial if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about that's right you get a book our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanding Universe, the Canon Universe, or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, it's been Mark and Whistler. 
and Nathan saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds of getting that card that I want because I'm still not going to buy one of your booster packs. <laughs> what are the odds that they get the pay-to-play system in this year and it's like, if you pay a million dollars, you're the top winner of the game. I say, if it's going to be gambling anyway, you might as well not actually have any of the blaster combat. It might as well be that just everybody comes in and pays money for crystals and puts in the crystals and then they spin a random wheel and congratulations, you know, the separate just won. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably not so good. Uh, 